This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart! Now go, you heroes of Thra! Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. I'm your host, Phil, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into this podcast as we, of course, chat about the Dark Crystal, and especially more so with um, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And, of course, with me is my co-host, Sydney. So, Sydney... How you doing? <laughs> I am doing great, all things considered. You know, one day uh, closer to the end of the pandemic is, you know, we're a day closer than we were yesterday. So every day is a little bit better than the last, little less dark each day that passes, hopefully. So um, I'm super excited for our special guest today, though, man. So, yeah, of course, our special guest is uh, Javier Grigio Markswash. Uh, who is the, the who was the co co executive produ- producer on Age of Resistance, um, but it was involved, you know, I guess really, you know, with the writing process uh, throughout all the ten episodes. He wrote the best episode. Let's just say it. He wrote the best episode. And that, and that was episode seven, uh, which was uh, time to make my move. Um, I guess for for many of the listeners, uh, episode seven is. I mean, for I think a lot of us, we sort of refer to it as the puppet show episode, you know, when we were first introduced to, yeah, the Heretic and Ergo. And um, it was, uh, I mean, it was definitely one of my, yeah, one of my favorite episodes from from the show. So, Harvey, I just want to say thank you so much for um, being on the show. Well, thank you for Welcome. having me. And, and, and you're mispronouncing the name of the episode. It's time to make my move. Oh, yes. I need, needed the, the bit of the pause and a bit of that voice as well. Yes. Yeah. I was <laughs> the Chamberlain. Yeah, I, I know. I know. And I was really trying hard not to, to not to mispronounce your name. Oh, you did it. No, honestly, that was phenomenal. Really well done. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yeah, mine gets messed up on a regular basis. So I was prepared. I was like, practice it over and over. <laughs> respect uh, i mean first of all i probably should say i mean you know from last year i mean congratulations like with the emmy win um for you know, the outstanding children's program that you received and, and i think we've seen like um some images of you know yourself you know that you, you actually got got your got the emmy and all that kind of stuff so i mean i i actually want to know i know i chatted to um uh with louie and jeff and will previously on the show and how they sort of found out that they um you know won the what have we you know won the award i mean what where was... were you what were you wearing did you cry uh, i always wear a black t-shirt and jeans so i was wearing a black t-shirt Thanks. and jeans um and uh and uh, i was actually with my friends justine and nick who no they're not in sydney right now they're they're from they're from sydney but i think they're here right now quarantining before going to work on a uh, justine and i were writers on the hundred and uh, we had a little social distance gathering in their backyard. Um, and I did not, 
you know, it's funny. I mean, look, we were up against Star Wars, right? And a yeah. about kids who memorized Dr. Martin Luther King speeches for a forensics competition. So I figured we had no chance to win. Um, I mean, a three-way a three-way fight between Jim Henson, George Lucas, and Dr. King. It's still going to be Dr. King who wins, right? <laughs> yeah. So, not that it's a yeah. fight. We all love each other. Um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, when when um, you know, when when we won, I found out. I guess I was just um, refreshing Deadline Hollywood because they were having the results live, and it was just, uh, you know, the idea that we tied with this amazing documentary. I mean, I've, I've seen it; it's wonderful. Um, and the idea that we tied with it was sort of like such a strange outcome to this whole thing. You know, it was like we what? <laughs> so, because I mean, yeah, because it must have been, yeah, it's strange because, um, yeah, I don't think not many awards, you know, end in time. I, 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 I look, everything, everything about the Dark Crystal, and I know you guys know this because you're you're in this world. Everything about the Dark Crystal is just a little bit off center. It's never exactly the thing you think it's going to be. You know, whether it's what's happening on screen or dramatically or. Um, you know, and, and, you know, or, or the fact that, you know, everything is in multiples of threes and there's no right angles and, <laughs> you know, and, and the yeah. podlings don't have a word for any number after nine, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> so, so it's, it's, it, you know, it was just kind of the perfect cherry on top of it. It's like, we're in a pandemic. We couldn't go to the ceremony. There was no, you know, and then we won and it was like, just, I, 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 I think I put up a photo and it was actually I'm very lachrymose when it comes to the dark crystal. Like I broke into tears when we won because I didn't expect it. And it was, it was just a wonderfully sweet victory. So, but, but yeah, I was with Nick and Justine. That's awesome. So did you man cry again to, uh, to quote the famous story from the crystal calls? Real ugly man cry. Yeah. And it was not, it was not a pretty man cry. It was like, uh, heaving sobs no i mean you know it, 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 i i did i mean it's like look I, I i am i am strong enough to admit that i cry regularly and uh and this was just i mean look the dark crystal is just like the most emotional thing ever for me it, it, i think it's the best thing i've ever worked on it's the best thing i've ever been involved with i'm amazingly proud of episode seven and i'm i'm, I'm really flattered that you guys think it's the best episode it's you know certainly i you know, I, I would never lay that claim because there's so much great work that Will and Jeff did and Simon and Rich and Margaret and Carrie and Vivian, but um, it was just, you know, um, working on the Dark Crystal, look, I'm sure I've said this before um, and you've heard me say this, but the, the, the Dark Crystal, when it came out in 82, I was 13 years old. And that movie I've always said was like a beacon that basically told all the misfits everywhere that if they held on through the to the bad ears, their tribe would be out there waiting for them, you know? And I think that's very much what I took from that movie. And then to have, to not only find your tribe, but have it be the exact same tribe <laughs> from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, yeah. it's beyond, you know, for me, it's beyond words. And, and you know, it's, it's sad that we're not uh, getting a second season um, to finish this story. But whenever I get sad about that, I think, do you have any idea the m number of miracles that had to stack up for this to even exist? You know, yep. um, so so it's um you know so so winning the Emmy was just the perfect cherry on top of 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 this bittersweet Sunday of not getting to do the whole story, but having gotten to do this at the scale and all of that. You know, so yeah. Every everybody uh, that we've chatted with so far has said that this story. I mean, it was thirty two years in the making. It took 
you know, impossible odds to get from the film to getting to the point where you could do Age of Resistance and make that a reality. And, you know, just because we're not immediately getting a second season doesn't mean there isn't any hope on the horizon for the franchise expanding someday. There's always, um, I think it was it was Will and Jeff talking about how it's not necessarily that the, the fire's being put out, but the torch is going to have to be passed again. You know, this was your turn with it. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you won't have another turn or somebody else won't have another turn somewhere down the line. It just might not be what we expect because I know Age of Resistance wasn't what any of us were expecting. What, what were you expecting? Just out of curiosity. Well, for the longest time, we were expecting nothing <laughs> because we were all, you know, let down so often. That's the thing. You Like when the show was announced yeah, in, in 2017, I think our minds, our collective minds were blown away, you know, and, and not only was it going, wasn't going to be animated, it was going to be puppets. And, um, and of course, you know, we've always been looking, you know, for interviews or, you know, you know, seeing what people have worked on. And of course, you know, we looked at just, you know, yourself and, you know, that you worked on Lost and, and so many other shows. And, and actually, um, I would have to say like the, the, I think the first interview was probably with yourself, I think back at, um, San Diego comic-con that you did, um, and I think on um, that interview, and, and I think you mentioned a lot of things like, you know, re, you know, that you're giving the show with respect, um, you know, having puppets and that. So reiterating that even though us fans probably, you know, knew about it from the press release and all that kind of stuff, but just hearing it from yourself and your passion for the Dark Crystal um, that, you know, I think like for, for, I mean, for myself, and I think for a lot of us, we're just like, yeah, I think, you know, Dark Crystal's in a very good place, you know, with, with this show and what the direction that, you know, could potentially be so it, no, it was it was awesome i think i think it, it it does attract true believers you know uh will and jeff and louis um obviously i mean are, are just wonderful creators but they also really believed in this and i think like louis um brought this yeah i'm sure they talked about it with you but you know the way that he shot it just immediately changed how people perceive how you can film puppets, you know, because take the world of throwing a whole other direction, you know, with handheld and with Steadicam and, and all of that. And, and I think that that's, you know, it, it, everybody brought their A-game to this because we all believed in it. We all we all loved it so much, you know, and, and look, I would I would have done this probably no matter what, but reading the material that Will and Jeff prepared, their pilot script and their season one plot that ultimately became kind of the season two plot as well because it was it was so dense and so detailed um you know it was also just just meeting those guys and and seeing their passion and i mean we had so much fun work it's not just the best thing that i've ever worked on but it's also the one that was the most fun to work on you know and the one where and i'm not you know it's like i've worked with great people across the board but it's like we just all kind of hit it off in the best way and like you know within days we were just like you know like like we've just been doing this forever and you know i just i love those guys and the writer's room was great. You know, Joe Lee was great. I mean, it just, it just, it just was one of those things. Just everything came together. Um, I wish I had, you know, hot gossip to tell you about horrible things behind the scenes, but you know, the, the, the funny thing about it, you know, it's also you like, plenty. you know, you, you look at also like the way that Lisa Henson and her team, Hallie Stanford and Blanca Lista and Rita Perugi, like the way that they also like keenly keeping their eyes on the legacy and on, 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 on making sure that from the, perspective of where they were coming from the show as the best it could be everybody everybody wanted the show to be great and it turned out that way and i mean that, that was the thing like i was really interested in knowing sort of your, your early days of with age resistance like um 
like like how how did you get involved on because i know i think i i think i chatted to hallie stanford and that um you've i think you've worked with her previously on on a number of, of i think it was the constantine or um no no it was actually actually so the very first pilot i ever sold was in 1996 and hallie i think was brian henson's assistant at the time she was just starting out same as me and uh and it was a thing called the van helsing chronicle van helsing that's it yeah yeah getting the vampires mixed up <laughs> yeah no so hallie and i had known each other for a very long time uh, and we kept running you know and after that we kept running into each other here and there and all that and trying to work together and all that but it, it never gelled and what's funny is that you know the moment that we got done with dark crystal hallie and i went out and sold another show um which sadly isn't going to get made because the pandemic murdered it but um yeah. you know the 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 love of the idiosyncrasy that the Jim Henson company can bring to things is something that's died into both of our DNAs. So, uh, but how, how I got involved. Yeah. I mean, it's like, look what happened. It was actually a pretty simple, simple thing, you know, like you have agents and um, either through Hallie or through some, you know, I, I, who, however, I, my name wound up on a list of the Henson company for people who could do this job. And what's really interesting about it was, um, so we were all on NDAs, right? Yep. Non-disclosures. Yeah. I didn't know what the job was when I went in. I just know my agents said, there's a job at the Jim Henson company. And I'm like, I, I gotta take that meeting. It's a Jim Henson, like I don't, you don't turn down that meeting. Yeah, um, I mean, just to just, I mean, look, just to be on the lot, you know? So, so, so I went in and it's funny because coming in the other direction was a writer whom I'd worked with on The 100 who had actually just done the first season of The Handmaid's Tale. And she's coming in the opposite direction and I'm going toward her. And I said, and we said, hi, and we, you know, shook, you know, and, and, and I said, are you here for the same job I'm here for? And she goes, well, I can't tell you because I signed an NDA. And I said, uh-huh. So is it a good meeting? And then she looks and she goes, it's a great meeting. And I said, am I going to want to have taken this meeting? And she goes, you'll want to have taken this meeting. And I was like, great. <laughs> so I kind of knew going in, I figured it was one of the big ones, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, I got in there and I signed the NDA and then Lisa Henson handed me, um, an iPhone on which they had the five minute test that Netflix did to test the CGI Gelflings with the, uh, with the, uh, um, practice. Yeah. With the, puppet, with the puppet scientist that they built for it. And, uh, you know, I, I, and, and that's where the ugly man cry came in. I mean, just jump street, boom, you know, like <laughs> it was like, you know, immediately, like I, I just, I was just flashback to like my childhood, my lost innocence, my love of puppetry, you know, being a lonely kid, like just everything. And uh, yeah, I said, yeah, I, I pretty much said yes in the room, so. <laughs> I think uh, all of us would have immediately as well. Um, so were you an immediate fan of the Dark Crystal film right when it came out? You said you were 13 when it came out. Did you see it right away? Well, you know, it's interesting. So that movie came out in 82 and that was like the greatest year for films ever, as we all know. Um, although some people are starting to say that like 98 or some, some yeah, I don't believe it, but. You know, so so it was just part of that whole wave of movies, and I was going to see everything that came out, and I was a huge fan of the Muppet Show. Um, I had been a, uh, I was actually a member of the Muppet Show fan club. You know, so like I remember when I was at the Henson Company and looking through some archival stuff. I remember their logo from like the fan club mailing from when I was like nine. Okay, so you know, um, Dark Dark Crystal was just fit right into that whole continuum, and. I just, I love the movie, you know? I don't think I had the same fandom for The Dark Crystal that I had for, say, Star Trek, because it wasn't an ongoing thing, you know? So I had loved the movie. I'd seen it several times in the year since it was released and all that, because it's such a wonderful movie um, and has so much, so much just in it, you know? Um, it's, it's a movie that rewards um, 
repeated viewing because you're always finding something new in it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the sort of like memorize the names of all the civilizations kind of thing that you do with Star Trek or Star Wars because those right. were kind of, those canons were being added to constantly. So when it went into becoming a dormant sort of thing, it became less of a of a part of my life. Um, and uh, and then of course you know going into a of resistance, it all just came galloping back with uh, with with great thunderous enthusiasm. It is a bit like going home watching the movie, you know, because as you said, for so long there there was silence, you know, for the most part um, in the community of it. Look, I think it's it's funny because people talk about are the puppets expressive enough or not, and you know, a lot of the criticism of this was that oh, you know, we couldn't quite connect to some of the characters because they were too this or too that or whatever. I don't know. I watched that movie and like you know, the first time that I saw it in preparation for the for the show, I probably hadn't seen it in about four years. So I so I get it, and because I had the I had the DVD, they put out a deluxe 30th anniversary set about seven years ago or eight years ago. So I bought that and watched mm -hmm. it a couple times. Saw the behind the scenes stuff and then put it in a closet. Um, I, I you watching it for the first time in four years when when Ursu dies, I was in tears. I mean, it's such a wonderful scene, and and you know the the the, the movie is evocative of, you know, not just emotions that are sort of big childhood emotions for me, but just also of like, you know, it, it works on its own terms as a movie in, in every way for me. I know that a lot of people complain about the stately pacing of the narrative, <laughs> you know, and things like that. But honestly, like, I just think, I don't know what the it factor is with Dark Crystal because I don't have that love of, for example, Labyrinth, you know? which is a movie that I admire and I think is, you know, but I don't have that same connection to it, but there's something about the, the weirdness of the dark crystal and how it's asking you to project your emotions on these non-human characters who are still so beautifully performed. And you get to kind of absent yourself from the idea of I'm watching uh, a movie, you know, like I, I think probably the reason why Labyrinth never landed with me was that I mean, I, Jennifer Connelly had been in a couple things before that. I knew who she was, David Bowie's David Bowie. You know, it's like, yeah. you, know, you can't take your eye off of his hair or his crotch. It's like, you're just in, you know, you're just constantly being reminded the world, the real world is constantly intruding for me into that movie. Whereas like with the dark crystal, it's like, you just got injected into, you know, Jim Henson and Brian Froud's brain and you just have to live there for two hours and good luck to you. <laughs> Yeah, just um, yeah, just losing your suspension of disbelief, um, like with the Dark Crystal, because it's like this is this is nothing like it, and really nothing like it until Age of Resistance, obviously. Um, and there'll be a few things you know in between, but yeah, it's just. Um, no, I mean, it's like it's we you know, yeah, yeah, it is, and 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 look, there are other movies made with other techniques that have a similar effect. You know, when you look at stuff like. Um, the the films that Leica makes, you know, like Kubo and the and the and the how many strings is it three strings six strings a bunch of strings, you know, you look at Kubo or you look at Coraline and all of that, it's like you have that you know like I think when that kind of storytelling is done really well and people use techniques that are quote archaic unquote, um, I think in a weird way the humanity of that and it's no slam on computer on computer artists I mean I love what Pixar does I love. I mean, I don't think that movies get any better than Coco, you know? I mean, Coco is one of the greatest fantasy films ever made. Yeah, and by the way, one of the reasons why is how much of that movie is teaching you how to operate a technology that you have no idea about while teaching you about the rituals of a culture that most Americans don't know, you know? So you're literally going into Mexican culture and then you're going into like this weird sort of fantastical manipulation of how that culture works. So I, you know, so, so obviously, but I think when you look at a movie that's stop motion or puppetry or 
it just transports you into a world that feels like it's made with human hands in a way that isn't mediated by um, technology the same way. One of the things I love about watching um, the old King Kong, you know, uh, uh, the, is is how King Kong's fur sort of moves weirdly because the stop motion animators are manipulating the puppet, you know. So his fur is constantly kind of like matting of its own of its own uh, volition, and yeah. you know, to me that doesn't make it less real, quote realistic unquote. It makes it more human, and and yeah. makes me appreciate the the idea that that character is even moving at all. And I think that. You look, I'm not a Luddite, I love CGI. Without CGI, there'd be no Age of Resistance. I mean, the amount of, of animation in that show, it's just that the characters, we treated the puppets like actors, but there's a great deal of stuff in that show we couldn't have done without CGI. So I'm not opposed to it in any way, but I think that um, I think that uh, being, you know, having that, missing that, that layer of mediation between you and the audience, I think gives you an immediacy. And look, the puppets are beautiful. Um, but they move weird because there's people there and there's people holding their arm over their head and great, great pain, you know, and they're, they're all taking, you know, uh, uh, they're all taking Tylenol, like, you know, by the gallon and they have a masseuse on set who's like literally trying to keep all of them in shape and all of this stuff. And, and the puppets move like actors and, and that is a whole other dimension, you know? But as you've said, though, the, the fact that this world of the Dark Crystal takes place somewhere completely other than humanity it's it's not earth there's no connection to the real world in the way that labyrinth has a connection to the real world that's undeniable the main character comes directly from the real world and that's kind of the whole point whereas in with the dark crystal this is somewhere completely else that we kind of have no way to relate to other than the context of the story and what the characters go through right so in a way the weirdness that you're describing of you know these things that seem off by other standards in other movies that we would think like that's weird it it's like an excuse to be weird in a movie like the dark crystal because it's otherworldly well yeah things are weird there it's not here it's not anything like this so that being said does that present more of a challenge to you to to write and participate in the creation of a world that's completely alien um or is that sort of freeing? Well, it's absolutely freeing. I mean, look, first of all, you know, we had obviously a bunch of archival materials. We had Brian Froud's books. We had all of that stuff, you know, so a lot of the world and, and we had, you know, Joey with us in the writer's room. So, you know, up from, you know, from having Jim Henson's original papers on this thing all the way to having, you know, the actual author of the new novels in, in the room, we were in the world. Um, and it's incredibly freeing because look, um, Look, uh, uh, you know, there's always some minor controversy online about writing fanfic, you know, and I love fanfic. I think fanfic is awesome. I mean, yeah. if you look at most of my career, it's been writing fanfic, you know, like I wrote Xena fanfic, you know, I like wrote a Dark Crystal fanfic, like I, my job up, up until last, uh, up until, you know, May, May of this year was writing Cowboy Bebop fanfic, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just is. Somebody already created the world. This show exists. I'm a fan. I'm writing it. It's fanfic. I mean, I'm getting paid nicely for it, but it's still, you know, so it was just a joy walking into this world because also um, the thing that, that, and I know you know this, but the thing that makes it so different is that we've got the Gelfling culture in its full flower. And a lot of that had been created for us and a lot of that we got to sort of create. Um, so we had a framework into which we could build this Gelfling civilization and have it do what we wanted. And look, there are, there are things in it that we couldn't do, 
um, you know, that were just massive. I, I don't know if, uh, if Louis and Jeff and Will told you about the things you didn't see. Um, but for example, you know, like uh, it, it gave us, it gave us a great springboard from which to create these wonderful, wonderful things. And some of the things you didn't see, like in episode seven, in the original draft, you saw the test of flight, um, which was, which was supposed to be a test between um, uh, Madra, uh, Madra Farah, no, it's Madra Farah, yes. And, 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 Celadon. and I'm sorry. yeah, and Celadon, and they were actually going to be flying inside the castle and across the village and the mountains, because the whole idea was that it was a test to see whether they could ride the, the, uh, the, 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 the heat sinks uh, around the castle with their wings and rise and fall and all of that. Um, and so, so, you know, obviously that was something that we had to give up for production reasons, but it was something that, that we got to, well, yeah, but look at everything else you got. I mean, it, this, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I think it actually worked for the story as well. Just like, just the way we sell it on, and, you know, it's like, oh, you know, take your crown, you know, I can't be bothered. And, you know, and I got to tell you, like, I know that, that I get credit for, 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 for the script, but you know, like there are things in there that, you know, obviously were, were redone by the guys into production. I had moved on into another show when the show went into production. So that whole idea of the black gown and all of that was something that they were working out over there. And then they called me at the, in my office at blood, I was working on a show called blood and treasure. And then the best part of it was that at some point, you know, once or twice a week, I'd get a call from Will or Jeff or whatever. And, we, you know, we talked something out that they were working out. Um, and uh, so, so they, so they already, so, so they knew that we weren't going to be able to do the trial, but then they'd come up with the idea of Celadon kind of just turning on her own and, and of her black gown. And then together we came with the, we came up with the idea of the intercut where, you know, you're seeing her kind of slipping into the bits of the costume and all that. And again, you know, like it's, it's, you have, I mean, it's, look, I started working in television in 1993, okay? And you were looking at literally, you know, most sci-fi shows and TV were extraordinarily low budget, um, you know, and mainstream television show, like the biggest, most heavily budgeted sh TV show in the sci-fi space was Sequest, right? Which, you know, was a show that was also constrained deeply by what the network believed the audience would bear. So shows never got to be weird, um, and we got to, and, and now TV has changed so much in, in the interim. And for somebody like me, who's been around for this long to have TV finally get weird enough that I'm happy is like amazing. And the dark crystal is just the epitome of that because you get to come up with things like the peeper beetle, like the test of flight, like, you know, the puppet show within the puppet show, like, um, and I think the puppet show within the puppet show may be the greatest accomplishment of my career. How was that achieved? Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated to know, like, how was that? Was it something that, that, that you pitched that everyone was like, oh man, this is a great idea to, to do this sort of exposition scene as a puppet show, you know, within a puppet show essentially. Yeah. yeah no, it was, we were just like, I, I remember, I don't remember. I honestly can't remember how I came up with it, but it was just something that I think you know. Um, um, I think Louis had brought in some videos of uh, Barnaby Dixon's work uh, outside of the Henson Company, and you know it was all great and the little tiny puppets and all that. And I think it was some mixture of him having brought those things in, and then also just you know whenever you like, we have to tell the story. It is a deeply convoluted mythology that is enormously hard to explain. You know, the crystal manifested Agra, who is also the crystal herself. She's the heart of Thra, but she's connected to the crystal. And then because of the first great conjunction, the Erskex showed up, but then they they split <laughs> apart because they were doing crap to the crystal, trying to purify themselves. But that's not how the crystal got broken. It got broken because they fought each other and then they broke it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? So we were just trying to figure out how the hell do we convey this to an audience? And 
And that's sort of how that idea came out. And I think it was one of those things where like, none of us, I think, believed we would get it past the goalie, you know? Um, and and all, all that I found out is that there was something of an institutional prejudice against marionettes, you know? <laughs> so we were told, just don't have it be with marionettes, you know? I don't know. I was, <laughs> I'm like, okay. well, those are puppets too. And it was like, okay. Well. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, I mean, honestly, and then look, um, I, I claim credit for coming up with the sequence, for writing the sequence and all of that, but let's face it. I mean, I wasn't in London when it was shot. So a lot of how that sequence looks, it's the puppeteers, it's the creature shop and it's Barnaby Dixon, whom I've never even met, you know? So like creating how the scene was actually made. So, you know, I can't lay claim to all of its, uh, everything that worked out in it, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, like I, I get, to, I get to tell people that I worked on a, you know, multi, multi, multi-million dollar puppet show that wasn't for kids. It was high fantasy on the order of Game of Thrones. It has the narrative density of Game of Thrones. And even though we won best children's program, it's also like way too violent for children. And I don't know, that's something that I did. It's, it's, it's great, you know? As of this recording, um, actually the other day was um, the Saturn Awards, the nominations were just announced. And of course, Age of Resistance is nominated for um, best fantasy series. So it's, it's finally been nominated to sort of <laughs> in the right category. Um, Cause I know there was previous uh, nominations that was like nominated for best anim- you know, animated <laughs> show at one point. So it, it's, uh, it, it is, but here's the thing. It is, we always debated whether we would get taken seriously as a drama show. You know, even though I've watched the whole series many times with many different people, and everybody laughs, everybody cries, you know, like my, my in-laws loved it, you know, and they're not fantasy people, you know, they're, they're people who play golf and, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, you know, and not that fantasy people can't play golf, but, you know, it's like, you know, um, so, so I think that when people get hooked in it, they do get emotionally involved with the characters. I think that it's a big barrier to entry for a lot of people who don't understand fantasy or who maybe just need to kind of ease into the puppet thing, but, um, we wrote it like like an adult drama. We didn't write this show necessarily for kids because it was never sold to us or we were never told it was a children's show um, any more than the original movie is. I mean, the original movie is nightmare fuel. It's like unrefined nightmare fuel, you know? It's gateway horror. Yeah, and, and I know and I know you guys, you know, have spoken of this with everybody that you've ever interviewed, but the scene where the podling gets drained and the and and and, and the the slave master drinks the Garth and master drinks his essence is horrible, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, look, even when Skektek falls into the shaft, it's horrible. Everything is horrible, you know? And Brian Froud's illustrations and, 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 and look, Jim Henson's sense of humor are dark. Um, you know, for all of their love of humanity, it, you know, it, it's, it's a dark movie. I had a saying, I, I, I always said, it sure shit ain't the happy crystal. <laughs> I have that quote written down. I was going to circle back to that, so nice. <laughs> our, other quote was, our other quote was, no childhood left unscarred. <laughs> you know i will gladly let you guys scar it again i regret nothing <laughs> and that's all the time that we have for this episode of trial by stone stay tuned next time for the second part of our chat with javier as we find out what his favorite character is scenes that didn't make it in the show his take on the canon of the dark crystal and the four words that he hopes will be seen on screen in a future related dark crystal project All this and much more only on Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com.
You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone. This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com.